Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus It's time to enter this football time machine of ours and go back to the decade that we haphazardly label the noughties, the 2000s for the most part anyway, and to the football of its time. I am Jake from What If Football and this is the 59th episode of the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast where we'll be looking at your opinion of the best Premier League centre-backs of all time as well as a few of your favourites of course and a few of my favourites as well. So without further ado, let's get stuck straight in. And a quick reminder that we are on Patreon as well. From just £1 a month, you get five bonus podcasts a week, 50 weeks a year. We've got nostalgic podcasts like these in the shape of the Head to Head podcast and the Great Games podcast. We'll be taking a look at all modern football as well with a preview on a Friday, review on a Monday of the weekend's action, of course, and being that we are What If Football and we do What If alternate uh, football scenarios here, we will be delving into your suggestions, your alternate football universes every Thursday in a mailbag. And of course, here on the Sports Social Podcast Network, three days a week. Notice Nostalgia Podcast on a Wednesday. You may have checked out our ranked episode on the 20 greatest German Premier League footballers of all time yesterday. That's always on a Tuesday is ranked and the Barclays on a Friday. So without further ado, let's get into your selections for the best Premier League centre-backs of all time in terms of partnership. So... What is the quota to be met here? I think, first and foremost, success in a way 
has to be the um, the biggest, the first first and foremost landmark here. So Premier League titles won, the volume of titles won um, outside of the Premier League as well also does help. For instance, if you've won a European Cup, for example, which um, a couple of these selections have. And of course, defensive records. I mean, if you are the best defence, don't win the league necessarily, you can still be... Um, admitted and be accepted into this um, podcast here today and we have got a number of centre-back partnerships that although they might not have won the league year in year out they do have one of the best defensive records of all time and to be fair we are in almost total agreement here me and our fantastic followers on Twitter our Twitter account is at what if underscore YouTube with our top three anyway because those, those were my top three heading in when I devised this topic for today. So without further ado, there are our most suggested partnership, suggested by Chris Kelly, Mossman 800, The Football Chronicles Podcast, Scott Shaw and MUFC 7, Josh, Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic. And for me personally, also a Manchester United fan like Josh there, this is my favourite centre-back partnership. I also think it's among the top Premier League centre-back partnerships in history. We're now going for nearly 30 years in the Premier League. This has got to be well up there. And as I say, in total agreement with my followers for the top three, the most suggested, the only three multiple suggestions for the three uh, partnerships we're going to kick off with. This was suggested by the majority of you. And Manchester United historically before Rio Ferdinand and Emmanuel Vidic melded together in 2006. Historically, they never had the best defences in the Premier League. That that was um, often the the trait behind by one of our other top three defences. And another one of our um, later suggested, um, suggested centre-back partnerships, the Arsenal team was notoriously, even though they weren't ultra successful in the early Premier League years, the, the 90s, obviously until Arsene Wenger comes in. And then after that, they did get dribs and drabs of Premier League titles. They always had the best defence, always seemed to have the best defence. Manchester United and their tactical philosophy under under Sir Alex Ferguson was, for the most part, almost a, almost a score more than you tactic. And we've seen that in the, the treble winning season, perhaps most... Most most often the late goals are coming back from um, deficits to claw back wins late on. The 3-2 wins, the 4-3 wins. A certain element of um, what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing at the moment with Manchester United and at the time of recording, it is the night, is the morning after the Manchester United-Atlanta game, the 3-2 at Old Trafford. And that was definitely um, a facet of Manchester United's play. Then obviously with Alex Ferguson's team, there are a bit more structures in place than that, but um, similar style of play really, not defensively. They were defensively structured in places. We have got a suggestion outside of this from Manchester United, but in terms of defensive records, they were never the best defence in the Premier League. They always tended to score, always tend to concede roughly one or more per game. But Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic, Rio Ferdinand signed in 2002, and um, after the World Cup, signed from Leeds and instantly won the Premier League. Obviously, um, came down with a drugs ban the following year when uh, United fell away a little bit. You've got the Arsenal Invincibles, which we'll be discussing later on as well. And the defence we'll be discussing next um, with Chelsea winning back-to-back in 2005 and 2006. 
Midway through that 2005-06 season, Nemanja Vidic comes along midway through the season, alongside Patrice Evra, crucially enough, as well at left-back. And they didn't have the best sort of first six months. Patrice Evra in the 2006-07 season, still fighting it out with Mikel Silvestri, with John O'Shea, with um, Gabriel Heinze for that left-back role, um, with Nemanja Vidic more more of a uh, first-choice option for the 2006-07 season, alongside Rio Ferdinand, who was by that point, and for the previous... Four years he was at Manchester United, one of the best central defenders in the world. And going back to the best defence in the Premier League, with Arsenal and later Chelsea being the best defences historically, Manchester United only had the best defensive record in three of the eight title-winning seasons prior to the 2006-07 season. But, but... Um, obviously you, you get the title winning season in 2006-07, you get the title winning season again in 2007-08. And for the first time in defences in the Premier League, one defensive partnership won three Premier League titles in a row in the 2008-09 season. Now, I know Manchester United won three in a row between 99 and 2001. However, Yap Stam and Ronnie Johnson were the duo in the treble winning season. They were the duo in the 99-2000 season as well. But by the 2000-2001 season, you get Yapstan with his Achilles injury. Ronnie Johnson was was falling in and out of favour as well and rotated around a lot. So that season, although they did win three in a row, the, the defensive partnership was sort of lacking for the third season. And you could say that to an extent for Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic. They were, they were injuries, particularly to the back four. Gary Neville was out for a long time. Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic both had spells out, but there was um, still the same defensive structure, same, still the same defensive for there or thereabouts for the majority of the season. And between Arsenal, a 2-1 loss on um, November the 8th, 2008, and a 2-1 win against Blackburn on February the 21st, 2009, Manchester United f- didn't concede a goal in, um, in that time frame. Four months, four and a half months we're talking and um, even in that Blackburn game, Thomas Kujak was in net. So Edwin van der Sar prolonged his uh, um, clean sheet record by another game as well in, in, in amongst that. Obviously, the goalkeeper does help in um, in this situation as well with defensive records. Uh, but Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic together breaking all kinds of records. You throw Johnny Evans in there as well, who's coming to the fore as a, um, as a young centre-half, as a young sort of um, understudy to the likes of Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic. And... They would go on to win the Premier League title in 2011 and 2013 together, both Rio Ferdinand and Emmanuel Vidic. And some might say you need a, a sort of a cat-dog partnership these days. One cat-like ball-playing, sort of clever um, central defender and a dog central defender, which is categorised as one of the one that will go out and win headers, one that will go out and step up and absolutely destroy, um, be a tackler mainly. And um, not every great centre-back partnership has to have one. There's a, a number in here which don't really have that dynamic. But I think Rio Ferdinand and Vidic is one of the more pronounced in terms of the cat-dog relationships, really. Rio Ferdinand is, um, he was the composed ball-playing defender. You've got Nemanja Vidic, who was the absolute destroyer. And it always helps that you've you've got great fullbacks. obviously, as we say. Nemanja Vidic um, was flanked by Patrice Ever on his left-hand side, and he he really come into his own in the 2007-8 season. He was forcing his way in before that, alongside Gabriel Hainzer. And um, Gary Neville, of course, um, it, it does help that those two fullbacks are some of the best in Manchester United's club history. Um, Neville, though, was injured in the uh, 2007-8 season, missed the majority of that season, so you get... Um, you get Danny Simpson for a time. You get Wes Brown for the most of it. Um, but 
the fact that United, Man United tactically were changing in the 21st century, they were changing from this English team into more of a continental team from a 4-4-2 to a to more of a 4-3-3. And I think that defensive, that tactical shift made them defensively more structured, more solid and Rio Ferdinand and Manjovic were the, the pieces in that puzzle, at least defensively, to turn United into a great defensive team. They weren't before that. I don't think they were more, their biggest compliments would be paid to the attacking exploits rather than defensively. And after that, um, after Ferguson, really, neither really, but now, so you get more of a an imbalance towards the attack um, in modern day. And um, obviously losing both Rio Ferdinand and Emmanuel Vidic in the same summer, I think for me, absolutely killed United. Obviously you get Ferguson retiring the season before, but you've also got the season after, obviously after the seventh place finish, you've got Rio Ferdinand leaving, Emmanuel Vidic leaving, Patrice Ever leaving as well. So you've got three of the four defenders. The right back role was never really, um, might some might say, hasn't been hasn't been evolved from yet from Gary Neville, um, did for a time with Antonio Valencia. But I think only now, in 2021, as we speak, Manchester United have only now got a firm partnership with Harry Maguire and Rafael Varane of a, of a roughly similar quality. I'm not going to say that um, Maguire and Varane are going to ascend to, ascend to the heights of Ferdinand and Vidic. But on paper, at least, um, in the early stages of their partnership, they look to be of a roughly similar quality of Ferdinand and Vidic. And the same cannot be said really for, for Jones and Smalling, who promised a lot, uh, didn't deliver for Lindelof and Baye, who promised a lot and didn't deliver as well, now Manchester United have Maguire and Varane. Um, I think it's probably as close as what you're going to get to uh, Ferdinand and Vidic, really. And a similar, similar sort of um, dynamic, really, with Maguire. Maguire can do both, really. He could ball play, good um, destroyer as well, whereas Varane can be um, a better on the last line of defence type of defender as well. So moving on to our next suggestion, suggested by... Chris Kelly, James FF, George Spencer and Scott Shaw again, John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho. So as I said before, Arsenal always had the best defences in the 90s, early 2000s from George Graham's insurmountable Arsenal teams that won the league in 89 and 91, obviously before the Premier League. But even in and amongst the teams that weren't successful in the mid 90s, Arsenal were the best defensive team in England. Taking that mantle though, and ultimately their defensive record in the Premier League, that record that stood since 1998, was Mourinho's Chelsea in 2005. Now, well, as we'll get on to with our next suggestion, Arsenal conceded um, a record least amount of goals in the 97-98 season when they won the double. Chelsea went two better in the 2004-05 season, conceding 15 goals. And when you factor in that they conceded two goals on two separate occasions, both in 2-2 draws, that's 11 goals conceded in 36 games. A season which I think, um, as I've discussed prior on multiple podcasts, I think it's more impressive than the Invincible season. They won more points and they they only lost once. um, And that could have been very avoidable with a freak goal against Man City at the Etihad or City of Manchester Stadium as it was then. I, I think it's... For the centre-back partnership anyway, Ricardo Cavalli and John Terry, it's more impressive considering it was Ricardo Cavalli's first season in England. There was no there was no sort of easing in process. He, Chelsea was still waiting for this first league title in what would be now for 50 years. He was a European champion, as was Paolo Ferreira, who joined at the same time at the right-back, both from Porto, obviously Mourinho comes from Porto as well. 
And in between them, you've got John Terry at his absolute peak for club and country. Um, it wasn't really at Europe's top table experience just yet. Obviously, he would reach that in the coming years. Um, but with flanking him between two European Cup winners, it, it was a very good dynamic. Obviously, for the first two Premier League seasons where they won, Mourinho would cycle through William Gallas. I see Adele Horner as well before obviously settling on um, Ashley Cole for what would be a legendary back four, really. But ultimately, a back four that... Um, together at least didn't win the didn't win the Premier League actually with um, the next Premier League title for Chelsea in and amongst the Manchester Manchester United dominance which we discussed just then was in 2010 under Carlo Ancelotti so even the seasons going back to the Chelsea conceding just 15 goals even the seasons with these ridiculous outlandish points tallies. I'm talking the seasons of Manchester City in 2018 and 2019, Liverpool in 2020, the 100, the 99, the 98 points. Even those teams conceded more goals than Chelsea here. Um, and Chelsea would follow this up in the 2006, in 2005-06 title winning season with just 22 goals conceded. So if you stretch that across two seasons, that's 37 goals conceded in two seasons. That's obviously... Uh, one goal conceded just over every two games, really. Um, City's great back-to-back winning seasons. 50 goals conceded over two seasons, for example, which obviously it's still a really, really good record. Let's not um, let's not uh, mix that up. But Chelsea's was just absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, this this um, lends itself to the theory that Jose Mourinho is a great defensive manager. Some may say too defensive nowadays, but um, there we are. This is in the world of, um, at the moment, high press, high gag and pressing football, high energy transitional football, whereas Jose Mourinho's was probably more half a generation previous. His successes, of course, as we know, his um, dwindling title, his dwindling trophy cabinet at the minute. Maybe um, an evolving has to be done there. Obviously, the record-breaking season that United had, which we've just discussed in the 2008-9 season, in terms of games without conceded, that record was originally held by, of course, John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho. And I think the back four, in terms of quality, was just as just as good as the Man United quality in the um, between 2006 and 2009, when they won those three Premier League titles in a row. They were coming up against this Chelsea team, um, which makes that their title wins all, all that more impressive. Meanwhile, obviously, Terry and Carvalho, Paulo Ferreira, those three lads had to compete with the Invincibles as well. And obviously a Manchester United team that was still up there, there are thereabouts as well. And they've got a very good shout to be the um, the best centre-back partnership of all time. But let's, let's leave the 2000s for a second, just for a second. We'll go to the 90s. The next couple of suggestions are from the 90s. And this was my, probably my, it's hard to categorise them in one, two and three, but these were definitely my top three. Suggested by Chris Kelly, Scott Shaw again, and Joe, Tony Adams and Steve Bold. And discussing a team with a settled back four, which um, to be fair, the first two options, Ashley Cole came in a bit late. You've got injuries for the Man United team with the likes of Gary Neville in there as well. This from Arsenal in the 90s was perhaps one of the most most settled back fours in probably football history. You're looking at around a similar time, Arrigo Saki's back four for Milan. You've got Mauro Sassotti, you've got Paolo Maldini at fullback. You've got, of course, Baresi and Costa Curta in the middle. 
Now, I'm not saying that this Arsenal back four is of that ilk, but you've got Lee Dixon, you've got Nigel Winterburn, you've got Tony Adams and Steve Bold, the uh, centre of our argument here, which were the back four for Arsenal. They were the back four, obviously, with David O'Leary at centre-back, which was a, a rare tactical switch-up by George Graham going into the Anfield 89 game. That was the back five, the four with lads we just suggested, and David O'Leary almost as a sweeper in the back nine of his career. That was the back five when Arsenal won the league at Anfield in 89. The other four, Dixon and Winterburn, full-backs, Adams and Bold as your centre-backs. Obviously, you get Martin Keown coming back from Everton. He comes back, he grows into the team by the late 90s. But the main defence, the main defensive four by Arsene Wenger's time is still them four lads. And they do win the double together in the 97-98 season. The partnership, everyone remembers, despite Keown's involvement, and he was involved um, to an extent, Adams and Bold, absolute legends of Arsenal Football Club. Adams, potentially the one of the best footballers to ever play for Arsenal, Steve Bold up there with one of the best defenders in Premier League history, English football history, Arsenal history as well. And of course, in an era dominated by Manchester United's 90s team, the double-double winners, Arsenal won a double of their own and founded primarily on defensive rigidity. You've got George Graham, he'd come from the league successes before the, um, before the Premier League the cup successes though still you got the cup double in 93 with this defence you get the cup winners cup in 1994 against Palmer with this defence and even amongst the tumultuous time of Bruce Rioc you still get them being the best defence in the league so even through that you know it's quite a quite a seismic shift between managers obviously George Graham a huge figure at Arsenal you get Bruce Rioc sort of not interim but transitional phase as manager and then Arsene Wenger comes in so even across that sort of bumpy road in like 95 era, you've still got Arsenal being routinely one of the best defences in the league. In fact, in the first six seasons in the Premier League, Arsenal had the first or second best defence in the league. The only season they didn't is the season where George Graham left halfway through the season in 94-95. So I'll read a few numbers out for you. It may not be conducive for a podcast, but here we are. We'll talk about finishes first. So Arsenal finished 10th in 93, then 4th, then 12th. That was the season where they um, got rid of George Graham halfway through the season, then 5th, then 3rd, and then Arsene Wenger's second season first. So in those seasons, you get the second best defence, you got the best defence, you got the 7th best defence, and then even in Bruce Rioch's only full season, you get the fifth best the, the uh, best defence when they finish 5th, and then obviously... Arsenal with Arsene Wenger had the best defence in 96-97 and even when they won the league they finished with the second best defence only behind Manchester United and that may speak to the fact that they didn't have a great first half of the season but then the second half of the season was almost immaculate and the type of they're only conceding 33-32 goals in a season which may speak to it's obviously nowhere near the um, it's nowhere near the numbers of Chelsea in in uh, 2005, not even in the same realm as Manchester United in, in sort of uh, a, a decade on. But then obviously in 98-99, despite not winning the league, they did take Manchester United obviously to the wire. Steve Bold was still there. So they still had roughly the same back four. Obviously that would evolve, which we'll be discussing in a minute. They conceded 17 goals despite finishing um, second, um, which is absolutely frightening really to not even win the league and concede 17 goals. Ridiculous behaviour. Obviously, this um, comes with Manchester United conceding 30-plus, I think. 
sort of around that sort of around that sort of um, number really and it, they lost it on the final day of course um, those are def- title winning defensive numbers 17 goals um, I don't think um, apart from Chelsea in 2005 that will probably ever be repeated unless it, it's a very very low scoring these sort of numbers were like Milan in the early 90s so to wrap that little little comparison in that nice little bow the, the uh, conceded a drastically stupid amount under Capello as well and under Saki and Wenger was um, almost doing the similar thing here obviously that success wouldn't translate to Europe just quite like Capello and Saki but uh, the uh, defensive for it speaks to having a back four settled was um, kind of a pathway to success in the 90s and, and arguably probably still is to this day our next suggestion also comes from the 90s, suggested by Chris Kelly, Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister. So whilst Bolden Adams, as we discussed quite at length there with the opening six seasons in the Premier League, they might have had the best defence in the Premier League. The only problem was they weren't really winning the Premier League, at least not in the first five seasons. Who was winning it, of course, with the exception of 1995, of course, Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister. Now you may think... You may think it was more the onus on attacking football. It may be more Eric Cantona, it may be more Ryan Giggs, Kanchelskis, Brian Robson, Mark Hughes, those types of players winning the Premier League for Manchester United. And to an extent, I'd probably pin the the first few title wins under Ferguson under that attacking umbrella. I think they were more impressive going back, going forward, but it, it doesn't lie. The defence was still... Hugely impressive. You've got United at a time where the double was sparsely won. So let's take a look. Preston in 1889, Tottenham in 1961, Arsenal in 1971 and Liverpool in 1986. So Bruce and Pallister won one double. They won another double in 96. That answers our first criteria. They were very, very successful. (laughs) The only, the only defence in England to win two doubles and to be fair, only Arsenal and Man United have won multiple doubles. Obviously, I'm talking about the league and the FA Cup here. Um, Nemanja Vidic and, and um, Rio Ferdinand did win the league and Champions League double, which may be more impressive, but in just terms of domestic doubles, um, Bruce and Pallister are the only defence to win multiple doubles. Obviously, you get Arsenal won the double-double. They replicated United to an extent in 98 and 2002 but Adam and Bo- Adams and Bold would become Adams and Saul Campbell of course signed on a signed on a free in 2001 which could be if Adams wasn't in the back nine of his career and retiring after that you may have Adams and Campbell as one of the best centre-back partnerships if only Campbell had made the jump sooner we'd be discussing that I've no doubt here today so the full-backs you've got Paul Parker and Dennis Irwin Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister Man United were in a bit of a transitional sort of phase from the 94 double winning team to the class of 92. Obviously, those two guys would be replaced. More so Gary Neville for Paul Parker. Phil Neville would come in for Dennis Irwin periodically, but uh, Dennis Irwin would last the course right up until right up until the early 2000s, really, when um, United became more of a continental team rather than a rather than a, um, an English team. And to be fair, Bruce and Palace, like I said, they may statistically not have the best numbers, but in Bruce, you've got a great goal scorer from centre-half. I mean, I know it's before the Premier League, but in, I think it was 1991, he's got 19 goals from centre-half. Obviously, you remember the, the goals against Chef Wednesday there. And um, obviously, this defence was broke up after the 96 double to allow for like the signs of Henningberg, David May, and then obviously you get the Ronnie Johnsons, your Yapstams as well, which uh, we discussed um, a while back there. And it did take United to, a while to set on a pair, settle on a pairing, really. Yap, Yapstam and uh, Ronnie Johnson only, 
I'd say they were only a partnership for two years. Obviously, that coincides with the treble. Um, but again, like Bruce and Palace's era, it's more it's more the attacking owners which we uh, marvel at here today rather than the uh, the defensive acumen. But the long term partnership going forward was Rio Ferdinand and Manu Vidic. It did take it did take Rio Ferdinand a long, long time to get through. He got through a lot of centre-halves to find his um, defensive partner there. So it was obviously in a lean spell for United as well, which could infer the uh, the lack of success down to Rio Ferdinand, not really um, not really having a, a strong defensive partner. You've got Gabriel Heinzer there, who's primarily a left-back, but also could play centre-half. Same could be said about Mikael Silvestre. He played centre-half quite a lot, um, probably the player who was um, alongside Rio Ferdinand in this time. And obviously you've got John O'Shea, who could literally just play about just about anywhere, <laughs> even in goal. Um, obviously that was before uh, Nemanja Vidic comes in. And to be fair for United after 2013, as we discussed um, with the first suggestion there, they've not really had a defensive partnership of any real quality since, uh, might be argued. We've got two more suggestions here by our lovely followers. And the first one is, again, by Chris Kelly, Jimmy Carragher and Sammy Herpia. Now, I think it doesn't answer our first criteria of being wholly successful, at least domestically anyway. They are an underrated de- defensive partnership probably because of that. Um, I think they probably came together too late. I think Sammy Herpia's first... Defensive partner at Liverpool was Stefan Hentra, who came in from Blackburn. Jamie Carragher was often sacrificed a lot at fullback when fullbacks were primarily defensive. Although I do think it suits Jamie Carragher to be, a, he's not a, an overlapping wing back like um, fullback like Gary Neville was um, with David Beckham back in the day around a similar time. And I think when Jamie Carragher was in his peak in the mid 2000s, he had to be centre half and he did so. Um, Hancho Hupia was in Julier's last days, but by the time Rafael Benitez comes in, Jamie Carragher really gets into his stride there in his peak. That great three, four years where he was arguably, arguably the best centre-half England had really, even amongst the likes of Rio Ferdinand, John Terry. And in a world where one of those doesn't exist, Jamie Carragher, even in amongst Sol Campbell, Ledley King as well, he was on form probably England's best centre-half at a club level. Unfortunately, it was Rio Ferdinand, John Terry mopping up those um, those Premier League titles. As you know, Jamie Carragher and Herpia, though together as a partnership, did win the Champions League. As we know, they did win the FA Cup as well. Obviously, towards the end of the time when Sammy Herpia he retires, and then you get Dan Agger coming in as well. And um, I think this is probably the strongest part of what we see domestically, at least as a weak Liverpool team. Obviously, weaker than what we see today. And um, going forward, Liverpool, it, it was more of a team that sort of, especially under Rafa Benitez, was defensively minded a lot, but it did hang a lot on Steven Gerrard. And if he was having a fantastic game, then Liverpool were sometimes peerless, especially in Europe. And I think this is one of the more, especially under Rafa, I think this is one of the more underrated defensive partnerships in the Premier League. And if they might have won the league title in 2009, although it probably was more Dan Agger then, wasn't it? Um, they would be probably seen a lot more higher than um, just one suggestion here by uh, by Chris there. And our final suggestion, we've got Colo Torre and Sol Campbell suggested by Father Mags. And as Mags says, it has to be the invincible Torre and Campbell. And yes, like I said earlier on in the show, they might have been um, undefeated, but I see, I see defences like Chelsea's conceding only 15 goals. is more impressive and they had a bigger points tally than Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah, 90 points was very good for its time. Very, very good for its time. Only, I think, um, a couple of seasons there, the United 94 and United 2000 maybe had bigger points tallies than Arsenal's 90 at that time. 
obviously that point Sally would evolve in the next two, three years, wouldn't it? With um, Chelsea winning back to back, United winning back to back to back. Um, obviously, United, uh, Arsenal had the best defence in that invincible season, but they could um, they couldn't defeat Chelsea's record tally in two thousand and five, and obviously finished second in that season. And I think that just about edges Chelsea's uh, centre back partnership of JT and uh, Carvalho there. It was, it was a difference between a good Arsenal team and a great Chelsea team. Now, Arsenal at this time, they still had Ashley Cole at left back. They have uh, Lauren at right back, who was vastly underrated fullback. Ashley Cole, um, less so, but he was, um, he was more of an attack minded fullback and naturally gets more of the praise, doesn't he? Um, but this centre half partnership, Cole Torrey and Sol Campbell. Sol Campbell, perhaps one of Arsenal's better centre-halves of all time, and that comes from a, a long-storied history of centre-backs. You you know, we've obviously discussed Tony Adams, Steve Bold, Martin Keown as well. And um, this partnership really caved in halfway through the 2005-06 season with Sol Campbell's extended absence halfway through, halfway through the year there. Um, but it was the defence, ultimately, that led Arsenal to their only Champions League final in 2006. And that sort of... That defence was very, very good in the Champions League, to put it that way. It's breaking records. They, they conceded a couple of goals early on the first two games and then they didn't concede all the way until the final. And that is unheard of. It's especially unheard of now with the Champions League, with football getting more attacking, I feel, as we um, as we go on with the German schools of thinking. And let us not forget that the final two goals that Arsenal scored in that Champions League reign, or run to the final at least, Colo Torres scored the only goal across two legs in the semi-final against Villarreal and of course the score in the final, Sol Campbell. Um, this is obviously a couple of years on from the from the Invincible season, but still, this is this is the furthest Arsenal have got in Europe. Obviously they won the Cup Winners' Cup, haven't they? But the Champions League is an extra level and especially in the Champions League when it involved a group stage and it involved the last 16. The format that we see today that is loved by all except those in administration, really, at UEFA. This is a record that is unlikely to be ever matched. They didn't concede in four successive group stage games, and then they took that into the last 16, the quarterfinals, semifinal. And they weren't playing Muggs either. They were playing Real Madrid. They were playing Juventus. Teams who had won it quite, uh, or got to the final at least, quite recently, Juventus in 2003, Real Madrid in 2002, had roughly the same teams. Villarreal in the semifinals, of that time were very good defensively too. Um, and Barcelona, obviously, with Lionel Messi, but first and foremost, Ronaldinho in that time, the 2005-06 season. And to only concede two goals across seven games against those two, and they, obviously the only two come in the final, it's um, it's a an achievement, I think, that should be should be lauded by more fans, really, um, obviously, domestically. They didn't win the likes of the back-to-back leagues, although we're fairly close in the 2005 season. And um, yeah, a superb partnership. But a couple of other mentions that didn't quite make the cut by uh, followers here. I think we've got a couple of um, got a couple of uh, contemporaries, Virgil Van Dijk and Joe Gomez. A fantastic partnership there. Who may see um, probably didn't get the love it deserved because Joe Gomez has spent a lot of time in, out injured. Obviously, Virgil Van Dijk has too. Um, so Joel Matip sort of has been the centre back partner. Um, so far this season, but uh, Joe Gomez, I think, came on during this week, as I'm recording this, obviously, at the uh, at Atletico Madrid there. And for, for Manchester City, it's it's hard because they don't really, they've never had a set up completely settled back back two, the, the two centre-halves there. 
Vincent Company was obviously the long-standing centre-half, but you've always got a, a Martin Dimichaelis to the side of him. You've always got a Nicolas Otamendi to the side of him as well. Um, and I think the same is true for Pep's teams as well. You've got Laporte coming in. He was for a time company's partner for a little bit. Um, you've obviously got Ruben Diaz, John Stones. And I think Ruben Diaz and John Stones was probably the more impressive of the t- of the defensive partnerships of course last season. A weird season, but still, I think the cat dogs thing that I was talking about earlier with uh, Ferdinand and Vidic, I think that was um, seen quite uh, prominently between Stones and Ruben Diaz. Stones more ball player, Ruben Diaz more of a destroyer. Obviously, we discussed Stam and Jonsson in there. Morgan, Wes Morgan and Robert Hoof shouldn't be forgotten either. They have won a have won a Premier League together. Obviously, it was a bit of a freak season by Leicester, but built on sound defensive structures and deserve to be mentioned, of course. And um, John Terry doesn't get another mention off this because he doesn't really, again, like company. Two centre-halves that we think of as some of the best centre-halves that the Premier League has ever seen. Definitely, definitely in the top five, at the very least. Um, John Terry never had a settled defensive partner after Ricardo Carvalho. Either Branislav Ivanovic came in for a time, didn't he? And then you get, get a Bit of a rotating cast, really. You got Gary Cahill in there. You got that um, Alex, the Brazilian, and you never really felt that he had a settled partner either. Much like you know your Bruce and Pallisters, your Adams and Bold, and Ferdinand and Vidic, who were more obviously more settled together and won multiple leagues. And if they'd have had a a more established partner, they would have definitely been in the um, in and amongst the uh, running here. And I think that. That winds us down for today's show and um, nice to see we're all in agreement here with the best Premier League centre-back partnerships. If I was to select one, I'm, I can't rid bias out of my mind. I'm going to go with um, Ferdinand and uh, and Vidic there. But of course, you do have superb defensive records, better defensive records than Ferdinand and Vidic, of course, in terms of across the season rather than just four months in John Terry and Cavalier. And of course, the back four from Arsenal cannot be ignored from the 90s. And... Um, Defensive records in those two latter teams that um, arguably may not ever be defeated in a in a league season. The way football's going, the way the way the Premier League is now with its uh, full throttle, maybe tactically the, it will evolve. But um, until then, we're we're stuck with this, aren't we? And and I don't think we're going to get a defensive a defensive team just quite like the Arsenal of George Graham to then Arsene Wenger and then obviously Mourinho's Chelsea the first time around, at least. Next week will be episode 60 and in the previous international break we had a look at the worst World Cups ever. We're going to we're gonna take um, the other side of that coin and take a look at the best World Cups ever. Obviously we're discussing 2010 was a prominent example in the worst World Cups ever. Obviously the best World Cup obviously um, factors into when you were born and uh, how old you were and whether it was your first World Cup. Mine, for example, is 1998 or 2006. We'll discuss them all, I'm sure. And until next time, thank you very much for listening. Sidi.
Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.